You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Monday, 13 November. We've got RobX results due within the hour. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Chantal Marks, uh, Richmond results. It, it missed expectations. The stock was off almost, what, a third from its highs. We'll get her thoughts on that. We're going to talk to Naveen Ramprasad around just ensuring appropriate intergenerational wealth. Uh, it sounds simple. It's just a will, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, uh, Kim Gibb from Prescient. They've got a platform which enables active and passive ETF listings, not for you and I, but certainly for fund managers. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. People want less cash in their hands. Banks confirm a steady march towards a cashless society as more customers adopt digital payment methods. Business Day, Treasury in talks with Reserve Bank over gold and Forex Reserve account. Head of Treasury Budget Office concedes the 27 billion rand contingency reserve in the medium-term budget policy statement is insufficient. There's about $60 billion in our reserve account. Morning markets. Yes was green. S&P was up 1.6 on Friday, and Nasdaq was up two and a quarter percent. Across in the east, it is mixed. Sydney is down 0.6 percent. Tokyo is up 0.6 percent. Commodities mostly red. Gold 1,939. Brent a couple of cents to the green. 80.72. Platinum 8.47. Palladium 9.64. Rand 18.76. Bitcoin 37,000. Ten cent trading down 0. 2% in Hong Kong. And top 40 opening call, about 100 points to the red. That's a 0.15%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Today now with uh, Chantal Marks. Uh, she's, of course, head of research at FMB Wealth and Investments. Chantal, I appreciate the early morning as always. We've chatted a number of times around Richmond. Uh, the, the results for six months ending uh, September were out on Friday. I mean, chunky numbers, but seemingly missing a bit in terms of what analysts were expecting. Uh, sales up 6%, 12% at constant exchange. I didn't think it was horror numbers. Markets knocked it off five and a half percent, though. Yeah, so I think what's happening with Richmond at the moment is that you're actually seeing a, a, a very strong negative momentum um, kind of situation uh, compounded by a technical sell-off, mm. and then you get a miss like this. Um, and then the, the all the fundamental investors who were comfortable with their position long-term start questioning their position long-term because now you're already traumatized by the fact that the share has lost 30% of its market value. So then you have a lot of selling pressure. And because of the technical weakness, the buyers aren't there yet. So I, I'm not too concerned um, over the longer-term investment case, uh, but I think certainly shorter-term um, we could continue to see um, this, this sell-off. And not just Richmond, it's the luxury goods 
uh, space overall. Yeah, and I mean, what, what always stands out for me, I always go check how much cash they have. Net cat cash yeah. position, 5.8 billion euros. I mean, they could buy half of the JSE almost with that. But, but we have chatted before, and you've already said to me, sell-offs in Richmond are opportunity. I mean, do, do we wait or do we look at, uh, what, the 2,200 right now, considering it's been 3,400, and think to ourselves, you know, long-term, luxury is, is, is real. Luxury is absolutely real longer term, and it is one of the, the more defensive categories. I mean, it doesn't feel defensive when a stock has lost 30% of its, its value in six months. But the reality is that through the cycle, um, luxury goods does offer you um, a, a more steadier uh, experience, usually. Uh, it also offers you thematic and secular growth mm. um, because you have a, a, a higher or a increasing incomes in the Asia-Pacific region. China is under pressure right now, but it's not going to be under pressure forever. There's a massive emerging um, middle and high income class in, in India as well that you need to consider. And what I really like about Richmond is one, that cash pile, and two, the fact that they are exposed to jewelry. Branded jewelry is growing exceptionally well. What's dragged on them in this print is actually the, the watchmakers, and that's a little bit more cyclical. But yeah, absolutely. I think from a longer term perspective, this is an excellent entry point. If you are going to harp onto the technicals, you could probably give it another week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm a long-term investor, so I, I would be increasing my exposure to Richmond right now. Uh, just a quick question. When we're talking Richmond because it's JC listed, of course it's Swiss listed. But if we look at the others, such as LVMH and the like, I mean, Richmond is one of the, 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 the top in the global space. I mean, we're not buying a, a, a B-grade luxury here by any stretch. Oh, no, not at all. I would say it's, it's probably up there with, with LVMH, and I know LVMH wants it very much. So that's maybe another angle to consider. But, um, yeah, no, Richmond is, is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I would probably rank it um, uh, LVMH, Richmond, and the rest. Mm-hmm. So I would be very comfortable taking that exposure, and we're actually very uh, fortunate that we're able to take that exposure through the JC. Yeah, and LVMH, market cap 1.2 billion on Richmond. That can't be wrong, 1.2 trillion perhaps. I suppose LVMH could probably afford that with the, the petty cash and the safe. We'll leave it there, Chantal Marks, Head of Research, FMB, Wealth and Investment. Always appreciate the early morning insight. And that's our poll today on LinkedIn and X. Richmond sell-off, is it offering opportunity? Do you hold Richmond? Do you perhaps prefer LVMH? Perhaps you think it still looks expensive. Have your vote, have your say. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Trading now with Naveen Rampersad. He's head financial planning advice and product development, ABSA Private Wealth Banking. Naveen, we appreciate the early morning time. I think a lot of people are going to think that that sort of you know managing uh, transition of family wealth from one generation to the next is just really about a perhaps having a will in place, maybe using a trust. But in a recent uh, event you were at, you actually saying there's a lot more to it, and it starts off with a with a structure, almost a a, a family constitution, which sounds very formal, but really is important and and at the the heart of the whole process. 
Morning, Simon, and morning to your listeners. Uh, uh, good to be on your show. <clears throat> so absolutely, Simon. So what we've seen is within modern family, uh, there's a change in dynamic. It's no longer the traditional family, uh, mom, dad, and, and children. Mm. So you're seeing a lot of dynamics uh, coming into play. Uh, one is the sort of geographic spread uh, of the modern family, but also the blending of the family, different ethnicities, different cultures coming into play. And that this leads to a lot more complexity in the transfer of intergenerational wealth. So what a family governance uh, is, is in fact a framework that provides structures and processes that a family members can use to engage with each other and help steer relationships with the business and the family. So the framework provides rules of engagements, clarity, which can create a more defined and harmonious relationship between family members. So when that there is an issue, so a family constitution doesn't uh, result in the absence uh, of, mm. of any conflict in intergenerational transfer, but it actually provides a framework for the navigation of any conflict and the early identification thereof. I, I suppose, I suppose, I mean, in, in, in many cases, we can say that the, the conflict is going to arise at some time. This really is the way to to manage that conflict. It it puts the ideals into the in, in, into you know what what what's the outcome? What you're trying to achieve. And I suppose it's critically important that that all members are involved. Perhaps even some of the miners, they might not get a, a, a vote, but they get a they get a, an involvement, so that everyone's sitting at that table. Hugely important. Absolutely, Simon. So the proactive discussion of transition of wealth is key. Uh, having open discussions, and more importantly, where there's a family business involved, and and you understand there's potentially mm. an. Uh, a potential for conflict. It's to have those open, proactive discussions. Uh, as an example, if if you have some family members seeking to remain within the family business and others pursuing a different path, what is the equitable and right uh, sort of formula to be applied on the transfer of, of that intergenerational wealth? It is those dynamics that have to be openly discussed. So when the event on the passing of a founder uh, actually happens, the, the issues at hand are more or less defined as best as possible. And it's a regulatory landscape as well. Again, back in the day, you know, I don't know, many years ago, the family would have all probably been in South Africa and it would have all been under one one regulatory environment. But now, you know, the family's quite possibly scattered around the world and there's different, you know, Europe has forced hearship and the like. So it, it it's managing that part of the process as well, which adds significant complexity and really means that you need serious professionals here. So, Simon, therein lies uh, the nub in terms of, of managing intergenerational wealth right now as well is, is the spread. So, so to your point, uh, South Africa, there's freedom of testation. You can pretty much do as much as you want in terms mm-hmm. of how you bequeath your assets, subject to certain limitations. But in other countries like Europe, there's forced airship rules where certain part of your assets are allocated to a predefined group of, of individuals. And and the intent there is, is obviously to protect that class of, of individuals. Now, if you've got assets across different jurisdictions, part of your estate planning process has to take that into account. Now, considering the legal framework within South Africa, which is complex uh, in itself, now having to apply an international lens to assets across the globe, potentially, you have to seek uh, expert advice in order to ensure that you navigate that properly 
Otherwise, you probably end up with unintended consequences and the wrong outcomes. And, and then, of course, there's there's the tax component. There always is. There's estate duty. There's ways to, to, to manage estate duty. But again, that's something that's changing. And, and again, very different across those various different countries. So much as you've got a, a sort of a leg- regulatory landscape, you've also got a tax landscape that you've got to try and, 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 and get make efficient, I suppose, as terminology. So, I mean, tax, uh, once again, within the South African environment is complex enough. Uh, and as part of your state planning process, you, you want to ensure that you structure it as optimally as possible uh, in order to ensure you get the correct outcome. So when you're dealing uh, with offshore jurisdictions, you have to be cognizant, for example, of, of debt taxes in the relevant jurisdictions and avoid double taxation. So once again, therein, you have to engage the services of a professional advisor to provide that guidance and continuously review that because, as we know, the, the regulatory environment is very dynamic. It continues to change. So you've got to ensure that you understand what those implications are and what future changes also mean for your plan. Yeah, and, and at the heart of it, as we said up front, it, it sounds weird, but it's a family constitution, a, a structure which holds it all together. Uh, otherwise, we've all heard the, the, the stories of the billionaire families who all end up fighting with each other. We'll leave it there. Uh, Naveen Rampasad, he's head financial planning advice and product development, EPSA Private Wealth Banking. Appreciate the early morning. Your money can do more when it's investing with conviction. Our partnership with J.P. Morgan Asset Management gives you access to in-depth, broad market research and high-return investment strategies. So invest in a select set of companies with long-term structural growth potential with Stanlib's Global Growth Fund. Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on The Money. I'm chatting with Kim Gibb, Head of Investor Services and Product at Prescient Management Company. Kim, appreciate the time today. Prescient's just launched a first for South Africa, a co-named Passive and Actively Managed ETF platform. It's a fair bunch of words there. Help us understand what this really is. Simon, Prescient Fund Services and Prescient Management Company has had at least 15 years' experience of setting up co-branded unit trusts, mm-hmm. hedge funds, and retail and qualified hedge funds for offering it for co-branded managers. And we saw the need to set up the exact same scheme, but for ETFs. Late last year, the regulations were changed to allow for actively managed ETFs. Traditionally in South Africa, you've only ever been able to set up passive ETFs mm-hmm. and now the regulations changing last year, we are now have the ability to list actively managed ETFs in the market. So exactly the same as a normal unit trust, but it's actually now listed, not just tracking an index. So it gives fund managers the opportunity to list a traditional equity or bond or global portfolio. And that's the key point. I could be a small, a medium, heck, I could even be a large fund manager. And I can now, using the platform, launch my own active or passive ETF that will then be available on the JSC to all participants. Yes. And it gives access to smaller media managers as well to set up with us. We provide an end-to-end solution. So we'll offer services from listing advisory services. How do you go about listing this on the JSC, helping with the listing application documents right through to the end and 
working with you as sort of the sponsor to do the day-to-day sends announcements, so working through the complete end-to-end. And then ultimately, this gives retail investors, wealth managers access, much quicker access Mm. to listed unit trust products. You know, if I'm a giant fund manager, I can probably do a lot of this internally. But the small and mediums, it's things like the offshore exchange, because you mentioned there could be offshore products in there. You know, it's cash management. It's all of those sort of requirements where you've got the in-house skills and the small fund manager hasn't. And you're taking that admin off their hands and leaving them to do what they do, which is make the decisions in terms of the active or the passive. Yes. So we basically, we partner with small, medium, large collective asset managers or fund mm-hmm. managers and we'd offer that end-to-end service so right from sort of day to day so basically we are that sort of constant for them and all they need to do is worry about managing the money and we take care of the rest does that include taking it as far as compliance as perhaps even a, a market maker Yes. So for actively managed ETFs, you've got two choices, whether you use a market maker or whether you use what we call an INAV. So you publish an intraday price Mm -hmm. and that's what's used to basically determine a price that you buy and sell at. So clients have two different options, which will work with them to inform which one they should use. And we've got partnerships with various market makers that we could use or an agent within our group, which is Prescient Securities. And the key point, and we've touched on it already, but I want to go back because it is important. The equities or the, the let's just say the assets within the ETFs don't just need to be onshore. This could be a, it could be an offshore bond ETF. It could be a, a Japanese equity equity active ETF. Indeed, as long as they fall within the regulations of collective investment schemes, there's absolutely no reason why you can have it 100% offshore. So it solves a lot of exchange control problems as well for Mm -hmm. asset managers. And digging into the weeds a bit, I mean, the fund managers probably already got a fair amount of regulatory hurdles they've jumped through. I'm thinking in terms of sort of FSCA, you know, we've got the RE exams and all of that. That manager would already have done that, which gives them that authority to manage the money. Yes. So they would need to be qualified and have Mm -hmm. the right products on their license to be able to invest in those products. Just launched, as I understand, literally just launched in the last couple of days. Have you had much interest in take-up yet? Yes, so we've got three passive funds and one active fund, and we've got two or three in the pipeline, and definitely a lot of interest from some of our existing asset managers that work with us, and a lot of interest from sort of new potential clients as well, just because it is something new. People are still trying to get their heads around, does this fit in with their sort of suite of products that they offer to their clients? And definitely something we'll see, I think, growing. I mean, we've seen offshore, both especially in America and Mm. in Europe, actively managed ETFs are taking off. And it's definitely the sort of flavor of the day. So we definitely are hoping that that trend moves to South Africa as well. Yeah, and take a point. And if I were a small fund manager, I'd jump at this. This is just a nice, easy way to truthfully get great distribution because now you're on the JSC and anyone with a JSC account can purchase. We'll leave it there. That's Kim Gibb, Head of Investor Services and Product, Prescient Management Company. Appreciate the time. That's it for today. Uh, Friday, we were chatting with Viv Govender from Ryan Swiss, talking about Tesla. He says the only way you can justify that share price is if you look at it as a tech stock. And there is certainly a lot of tech in there. And he talks a lot around 
Think about autonomous driving where, where you know, your car just during the day, I don't know, operates as an Uber and earns you some revenue. We asked if you hold a Tesla. Two-thirds said, no, price is crazy. Rest said you were loving it. A bunch tweeted out and said, look, we're holding it, but it's not fun because the price has been under some pressure. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobochle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, a year-end investment guide. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.